0: disservice it does to the fight against anti-semitism to conflate, given that we live in a world with actual anti-semitism, conflating criticism of Israel with anti-semitism. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. Intifada.
1: This is the Electronic Intifada Podcast. I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman.
2: And I'm Asa Winstanley.
1: Welcome back to the Electronic Intifada podcast. I'm Nora Veros-Friedman with Asa Wynne-Stanley. Today, we're delighted to be joined by our executive director, Ali Abunima, and Katie Halper to talk about how Katie was recently fired by the Hill over a monologue she prepared in defense of Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib's correct
2: declaration that Israel
1: is an apartheid state.
2: Yeah, Katie's firing. Sorry, go on, Katie.
0: Oh, no, I was just saying, thanks for having me.
2: (laughs) Great thanks to have you with here.
3: us. I, um, I, 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 thanks for having me too, guys. It's it, uh, I'm, I'm always like uh, <laughs> thrilled to be on the EI podcast. And can I also <laughs> say to Katie, thanks for almost having me. Because can, can I break some right. news here? Yeah. Uh, like, I think it was like a couple of days before Katie was fired from the Hill. She texted me to say, would you come on the hill to talk about Palestine the next time I'm hosting, which I think was supposed to be like, you today. know, Literally
0: today, today, wow. okay, oh, so... yesterday, yesterday, sorry, it was yesterday, yeah, right.
3: Yeah. So I, so I, so I guess question: uh, Did your had you officially told them you were going to invite me? Like, uh, am I somehow <laughs> responsible? Oh for no, no, any? don't no, uh, you're
0: not. In fact, I no, they didn't know yet. They didn't know that
2: unless you know <laughs> someone's inbox is being monitored, oh, yeah, true. So,
0: i be because of you.
3: So, I was all my, uh, so, so then oh, I got the news. I was actually out hiking and away from uh, you know, media all day. I got this terrible news that Katie had been fired, and I said, Well, there goes my first appearance on the hill because no, I, I, I was like. How are they going to let me on the hill? And of course, they didn't. So right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that would have been a good testing. That could have been, yeah.
3: You, were, yeah. So here's the bright side, Katie. I, well, I'm really sorry that you were fired because it is, of course, a horrible example of this disgusting censorship. But you were going to be fired anyway after you
2: had me on. Yeah, so. you're right.
0: That's the good. Yeah, that's good. News, yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, Katie's Firing from the Hill is just the latest in a long pattern of corporate news outlets in the United States and across Europe, uh, censoring, silencing and firing commenters for criticising Israel or just talking plainly and factually about Israeli apartheid policies and the lawmakers who support it. Um, In a recent piece in the Daily Beast, Katie writes that, quote, I received a call from the Hill's editor-in-chief, Bob Cusack, saying they were not going to run the monologue. This is a a monologue that you'd prepared um, for the Hill. Uh, My radar now killed. I asked the producers if I could cover the controversy on my weekly segment, which was scheduled to present the next morning. I was told to check my email. An executive at Next Star Media had written to inform me that they would, quote, not be needing me to appear on Rising. But she graciously encouraged me to feel free to submit any unpaid invoices and even graciously wish me all the best um i i right, when i read that daily beast piece uh, that you wrote katie i thought it was um you were much more gracious than i was
0: <laughs> yeah i mean i was i was being a little sarcastic um, yeah. when i gave <laughs> her props for her graciousness um but yeah that was a you know what what happened was basically i I was a weekly contributor for like three, basically for three years. So I would go there every week and I would do a a segment on the media and politics. And then I had, in addition to that, started doing some guest uh, co-hosting and had scheduled some more. Uh, And I also had shot a pilot for a show that I pitched them, which was basically like an all, like a leftist version of The View. So a panel of women. we shot that with Brianna Joy Gray and I were both in the, the studio. And then Abby Martin and Rania Khalek joined. And that was really fun. And it did really well when they released a segment of it. So, you know, the Hill was happy with my work um, and people even in the YouTube comments like my hosting. And it's very rare, as you guys probably know, to get any positive feedback in, in YouTube comments. It's almost <laughs> always populated by negative feedback. Um, I
3: think we actually turn off the comments. Yeah.
2: No, we don't we <laughs> no, turn we them don't. back on. We turn <laughs> oh, them back on. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, but I don't much read them. to our
0: peril. <laughs> I don't read yeah. them either. It was like my mom and my friends telling me, like, oh, everyone thought you did a great job. Um <laughs> so yeah, and I had not only had I prepared the monologue, but I they shot it. They recorded it. I read it and uh these they're called radars at the hill. That's their their name for them. It's basically just a straight to camera monologue. Um so yeah, I even shot it, and they actually made this silly mistake of forgetting to remove it from the podcast. So you could actually hear it on the podcast. They just uh, refused to publish it on YouTube.
2: Uh huh. I and think it, is it still and up? I think that was an
0: oversight. Um, I think the podcast. I uh, well, no. So they never released on YouTube. So then, what I did was I, um, reached out to, uh, Breakthrough News where great friend uh, of my shows uh, and friend in life, uh, Ron Kallick, works. And I basically, no matter what, I was like going to, I really wanted to get the video out there because I I was like determined not to, if they were going to silence me or censor me at the Hill, fine, but I was going to get it out elsewhere. And I heard the news that they, it was Wednesday afternoon that they told me, you know, to pack my, my things, basically. And Thursday morning we shot the the video. Um, So that's the, Mm -hmm. you know, they're because they're actually an independent media organization. And the Hills thing is that they realized it was, you know, profitable to have a show that kind of presents itself as outside the normal limits of acceptable discussion. And to be fair, I mean, they do let that happen. I mean, I, I, I even spoke I talked about Israel on their show a bunch. This is it seems like a new policy. Um, they were purchased recently by Nextstar and, um, I think also there's a difference between, um, I guess what I was told right after I filmed it, when I left, uh, I left that day after my hosting, I was told that they didn't do, the producers, like, I didn't know this, but they don't do, um... They have a policy against doing op eds on Israel, either written or video. So that's hmm. when I was kind of trying to figure out okay, um, and this people may be disappointed because this is not as like black and white principle to stand, but I was going to be, I, I was like struggling with this. But even if they had cut it as a monologue, but if they had let me um, do it as a segment, because they distinguish between monologues, which are because I was told, actually, OK, so so they don't let they have a policy against monologues on uh, op eds on Israel. But you can do a segment on Israel and a segment is when you have a discussion as opposed to straight to camera. So basically, once I was told by Bob Cusack, the editor in chief, that they weren't going to run the monologue. That's when I texted, as, as I, I indicated in this piece, I texted the producer saying, OK, can I do it for my segment tomorrow? Thinking that we would just have a discussion basically about what I had said, and that's when I was told, uh, you know, your services are, are no longer needed, um, because it is. I mean, it's a it's a hard thing to navigate, right? Like, I'm sure there's some people who would have been like, if I can't do this recorded monologue, it's clearly double standard. I'm not going to work with you guys anymore. My thing was kind of like that's really messed up. It's clearly a double standard, but this is a big megaphone. So if I can still use this to get out this important story about Israel, in fact, being an apartheid state, I was willing to make that compromise. But then that wasn't even that. That was too just daring to ask that they follow through on the policy that they told me they had, which was segment discussion on Israel. Okay, straight to cam monologue. Not okay. I was fired.
3: Wow. I mean, that's yeah. Go ahead, Ali. Yeah, we we're yeah, probably going to say the same thing. It's just incredible. Yeah, I I just wanted to ask Katie, uh, were you aware about that policy banning monologues on Israel? And no, I wasn't. So that that's amazing. And, and then, and I want to I want to hear more about w- what you think about that. And then the other question is, up to that point or since then have you learned if there are any other explicitly banned topics or is it only Israel that is the, the subject I, of this? I this think it's possibly? only Israel.
0: I mean, I had done stuff on Ukraine there. I had talked about Aaron Mate getting smeared. So I kind of indirectly talked about Syria. I mean, I did talk about Syria a bit, not as an expert, but more just talking about the fact that Aaron Mate had been smeared um, in a, by a, a journalist at the guardian who didn't even have the decency to ask him for a comment. You guys probably saw that. Um, yeah. And he was kind of smeared as a conspiracy theorist who was they at first the headline suggested he was like on Russia's payroll. Then they had to, you know, that was even for their low standards of not getting a quote for the person, the story is about even they had to change that headline. So I had spoken about that. Um, I think that those are probably like Ukraine, having a certain position on Ukraine um, and Syria are the things that get you can get you in trouble. So I'm sure I but I think they don't have. My sense is that, you know, for them, the Israel question is the one that's who knows if maybe if I would presented and one it's funny because I I planned there were I was going to be guest hosting an additional three times, including that Monday that I was fired. Um, I had guest hosted three times before then. Or four times before then? Four times, I believe. I can't remember. Anyway, but I hadn't done one of their radars, the monologues, because I wanted to master hosting. I wanted to make sure I was, you know, covering just the hosting duties. So I was really excited to do these monologues, and I had decided I would do one on Israel, one on Ukraine, and one on immigration. And it's funny, because I'm sure if I had done them in the reverse order, if I would started with immigration or Ukraine, I'd probably still be at the Hill until it would have been next yeah. week that I had done the Israel one. Right.
1: Um, Lesson
2: learned, I guess. Yeah,
1: no kidding. But yeah. but this was, I mean, talk a little bit about the impetus for you doing this monologue in the first place. This was after Jake Tapper, the you know the the darling of CNN, right. um, uh, accused uh, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib of being an anti anti semite and an extremist after she correctly asserted that Israel practices right. apartheid. Um, so what what led to you you know wanting to do this monologue in the first place?
0: Well, so I saw that on Twitter that she was being smeared. Then Jake Tapper I saw uh, through a clip from Case Study QB. And shout out to Case Study QB. Everyone should be following him on Twitter. He does amazing work, just constantly grabbing clips from the, main, from the corporate media. But I saw, um, then I saw the Jake, so through that I saw the Jake Tapper segment where he very carefully does the summer saying You know, some of her Jewish colleagues are saying this is anti-Semitic. Right. Yeah. Um, The way Trump does it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Or Fox News really, you know, developed that technique, but uh, it's it's often weaponized by others. Um, Many
2: say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Many
0: say. Yeah. Some are Mm -hmm. saying. Everyone's saying it. So he did that. He showed a Debbie Wasserman Schultz tweet. Uh, He showed a Jerry Nadler tweet, and what's interesting is that um, a New York City uh, Assembly member pointed out that he had once asked Jerry Nadler, who was like bragging about his progressive bona fides, he had once asked Jerry Nadler why he didn't support a Betty McCollum bill that was going to ban prevent money from going to detaining children uh, from Israeli detention of children. He was like, teenagers can be terrorists, too. So so much for his progressive (laughs) bona fides. But of course, the big the big um, attack One of the biggest was, of course, from our dear friends at the Anti-Defamation League, Jonathan Greenblatt, who misrepresented uh, what Tlaib had said. She had said that progressives are real. People are realizing more and more that you can't be progressive while supporting um, the apartheid government of Israel, that you can't be a progressive only on Palestine, uh, which is a term progressive except on Palestine, PEP. Yeah, the PEP Um,
1: squad. Yeah,
0: the PEP squad. Yeah. And uh (laughs) He said it was anti-Semitic and he said she was imposing a, a, a litmus test on American Jews. It's like, well, where is she talking about American Jews? That was just a totally fabricated smear um, about which we, I guess, should not be surprised because right. the ADL is kind of that they're lane.
3: I mean, it's it's it was an outright lie. I mean, uh, what uh, our colleague at the Electronic Intifada, Michael Brown, did a, a really good write up of of uh, this a story really showing how Jonathan Greenblatt of the ADL just you know outright fabricated yeah. what Rashida Klaib said and then you have all these so-called progressive Democrats or at least Democrats I don't know how many yeah. of them are even being marketed as progressive putting out these sort of coordinated tweets uh attacking Kleb like a clearly coordinated campaign but the thing that is so striking because, I mean, Asa can speak to this so well from all his reporting in the UK that it looks like what they're trying to do is to equate support for Israel with Jewish identity.
0: Right?
3: You know, that that uh, to be Jewish is to support Israel and therefore to criticize Israel is, is to uh, criticize Jews. That's That's kind of what they've done in the UK. But I'm kind of curious to know how you feel about that, Katie, as, uh, you know, a Jewish woman who speaks about Israel and who's often spoken up in support of Palestinian rights. How, how do you feel about Jonathan Greenblatt defining for you what it means to be uh, Jewish?
0: Right. Uh, I mean, it's funny. I re- I'm realizing that it's it's been, this is the second attack on the squad that's that's caused me to speak out um, in their defense. one The, the other time was Ilan Omar, and I was invited on the Laura Ingrams show of all places. And I made a similar point then to what you're saying, which is that it's actually, well, APAC and the ADL don't represent most Jews, but it's also, ironically, an anti Semitic trope to suggest that Jewish identity is uh, an, an inherent part of Jewish identity is support of Israel. I mean, all these people are constantly finding anti Semitic tropes in what critics of Israel say, and they don't realize that they're actually perpetuating them like that's the whole basis of the dual loyalty uh, stereotype, right, that you're, you know, that any Jew is going to be loyal to Israel before they're loyal to the United States. Um, And, you know, for a lot of Jews, they, they're, they, they trace their opposition to Israel's actions to their own Jewish kind of identity, you know, there's this, there's this, principle called tikkun olam, which means in Hebrew, to repair the world. And that's a guiding principle for lots of Jews, whether or not they're religious. um, I think that certainly progressive Jews find that an expression of their Jewish identity. Um, You know, there's like two ways that you can incorporate the persecution of Jews into your identity. You can say never again to anyone, or you can say never again just to us. And the people who say "never again" just to us are fine, uh, inflicting, uh, you know, ethnic cleansing and ghettos and all these things that happen to Jews. They they're, they inflict that on others who had nothing to do with the Holocaust. So,
2: yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, this kind of censorship and punishment is quite common practice in the corporate media, and it's becoming increasingly common in recent years um four years ago there was the example of mark lamont hill who was fired from cnn um over a speech he gave at the united nations calling for palestine to be liberated from israeli occupation from the river to the sea um and describing uh you know again describing israel as um imposing apartheid rule on palestinians and there's also the case of uh deutsche Welle in germany which i know ali has covered quite a fair bit so i mean i guess my question to you katie is how does it feel to be part of this or the latest victim i suppose of <laughs> right. this kind of uh censorship I, mean,
0: I i feel like i'm in good company right mm. um i think it's interesting that i th- assumed that i had some more what i mean for better or or for worse and in many ways i would say for worse but you have like one more layer of protection as a jew to say this stuff but not very much layer of protection i mean i think that you get people will call you a self-loathing jew as opposed to an anti-semite um right but also part of the reason that i try to speak out against this is because i know that well first of all it's important to me and i don't want this to be done in my name and i don't want APAC and ADL to get away with claiming that they represent all Jews or speak for all Jews. But also, I know that, you know, you get if you're not Jewish and you say this stuff, you're just labeled an anti-Semite, which is a very damaging label. I mean, I mean, people are saying I'm an anti-Semite, too. So I I don't want to act like you get this like Jewish immunity shield. But I do think it's that much harder for non-Jews to say stuff like this. So I try to do that. Um, as well because you know the more people the more jews who speak out i think it just becomes that that much harder to paint this as an anti-semitic thing now of course it's not fair to paint people who are palestinian who are pointing this out as anti-semites but that happens you know and so you have to navigate again that balancing act between i don't want to appe- i don't want to appear uh, like i don't want to cater to the idea that you have to be Jewish to criticize Israel. But I know we live in a world where that gives you some, a little bit more legitimacy and it shouldn't. So I try to do both things, which is like, say it's anti-Semitic, but also obviously um, n- highlight the voices of people who are not Jewish and saying that also, because you shouldn't have to be Jewish to be allowed to say that.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> I think you do a good job of that. Yeah
1: yeah again it's just stating the facts um yeah and, and pointing
0: out obviously that like palestinians have been saying this you know i, I absolutely I, I point out that amnesty and human rights watch have declared this apartheid of course but sell and but i also remind people that this is something that palestinians have been saying palestinian human rights organizations and just palestinians on the ground obviously for a lot longer um, yeah, but I, I don't know if they just like I do bring up the B'Tselem example because it's like are they just according to people who say it's anti-Semitic to call it apartheid I guess they just think that they're like a cabal of self-loathing Jews yeah, like a cabal but, of it's
3: about right yeah yeah and, mm-hmm. and B'Tselem, for 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 listeners who may not be aware is an Israeli human rights group perhaps one of the best known and they issued a report. Uh, I think it was last year. Anyway, it, within the last two years, you've had B'Tselem, uh and Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International. So these three major human rights organizations that have issued these sort of big reports, you know, 200 page reports documenting how Israel perpetrates the crime of humanity, crime against humanity of apartheid against the Palestinian people as a whole. But as you point out, uh, that's a finding that Palestinians have been, uh, or or something Palestinians have been describing for for decades. So um, I think in the context of uh, a group like Bethlehem being Israeli, on the one hand, they are more privileged. I see this all the time. Uh, You know, there's sort of more mainstream politicians or journalists who will be comfortable quoting B'Tselem because it's Israeli, whereas they would not be comfortable quoting a, a Palestinian human rights organization like Al-Haq, which is, uh, you know, just as rigorous, if not more so than B'Tselem. Uh, so, that you know, that kind of speaks to the kind of uh, really racism in a way uh, that that frames who is allowed to attest to what Israel does, you know, uh, and and it's a double-edged sword because even for us as, uh, you know, as pal, you know, whether you're a Palestinian journalist or you're, you know, you'll say you'll say, well, even Betselem is saying this as if right. that gives it more credibility than, you know, Palestinians speaking to their own experience, so. Yeah, that can be tough to navigate, but I think it's important just to lay all this out as you've been doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, because I do think that, like, there are, you, I think that you want to do, like, two things at the same time. You want to point out that you shouldn't have to be Jewish to point that out, or Mm -hmm. you shouldn't have to be Jewish to have legitimacy when you're saying that. And also, the truth is that there are people who are, whether it's because they're racist or paranoid, they will see, um anti-Semitism in places it doesn't exist. And I think that, so I wanna do both things. I wanna reach people where they're at, even though I wish they weren't at that point, and also point out that you shouldn't have to be Jewish. But I do think that it's a way to reach people who may otherwise, again, it may be for, may it's not a good thing, but they may otherwise dismiss people as anti-Semites. So I think once you reach them on this, then I do think that these things can be kind of teachable moments where once you, I think once you, I I feel like once you penetrate certain truths, people, it can be like a paradigm shift. And I think one of those things happens when people are forced to look at the human rights violations that Israel perpetuates. And another thing that I found actually really useful is when you point out how much Israel cozies up to anti-Semitic authoritarians. Because I think that's another moment where people are like, wait, what? Huh?
1: Right, right. Yeah. And then you get to the core or the crux of what Zionism actually is. Right. The political right. ideology of settler colonialism and right. supremacy of one group over right. another. And
0: there are people where like you can't, at the, if you just say that at the gates, and that is a useful thing to say and it has to be said, and I do feel like we have to cover all bases. There are people for whom if you just say that out like outright starting, if you start with that, they're just not going to listen. Right. But if you start with other ways, they may be reachable.
1: Right. Right. Uh, What can you say about more around this? Like, you know, everyone talks about, I mean, it's, I hate to use this, the term, but cancel culture, right? Like cancel culture, like, um, you know, people are always getting canceled for something, but there is complete silence and just kind of an acceptance of the fact that, um, that that news anchors, that reporters, um, politicians, anyone, activists, students, anyone who speaks out about Israel's human rights violations are fired. They're silenced. They're harassed. They're threatened. Um, you know, we see this at universities all the time, where students, you know, organize an event uh, around Palestine and Palestinian human rights, and they're brought into the dean's office and they're threatened with academic punishment. Um, and no one in the you know the very loud like uh, you know cancel culture sort of um crowd is ever looking at uh, they don't i mean you know thinking about Barry Weiss for example right yeah i've been you know from the so called champion of free speech um, right. you know they're nowhere to be found when it comes to critics of israeli policy right.
0: Well, she, of course, was practicing her own canceling, right? Cancel culture (laughs) at Columbia with with Joseph Joseph Massad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, I mean, I think a lot of people are focused on cancel culture when people are. It's really cancel culture, anti-cancel culture warriors are are ideologues for the most part, I would say there are some people who I think are principled kind of across the board and free speech fundamentalists and are, are consistent but the the ones who really make their names on it are people who have an ideology and they're not against cancel culture. They're against the cancellation or the criticism of people who say certain things and they're fine with the with the with the censorship or firing of people who say other things. I think.
1: Right. Yeah. And it, it seems to be primarily on this issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I,
0: I had you on, Ali, to talk about that letter, that um, uh, Harper's letter, which I think everything it said was in principle great. The the problem was that it was clearly motivated by people with a certain ideological framework and included people like Barry Weiss and also what's his name? Um,
1: Oh, the, the guy
0: who also had tried to get Palestinian I don't remember, it was either defenders of, of Palestinians or an actual Peter Carroll? No, that's not his name. Carrie um, something? I'll, oh, I'll
3: yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Carrie, uh, Carrie Nelson? Yes.
0: Oh yeah. oh,
1: yeah, from the Stevenson. Th- yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Debacle, that's what yeah. It,
0: yeah. He, he's he, also he's, one of the, the, he's yeah.
3: the former professor at the University of uh, Illinois who was instrumental in getting Steven Salaita, right. Palestinian right. Uh, professor fired right. uh, for criticizing Israel while Israel was murdering Palestinian children in Gaza in the summer of
0: 2014.
3: Right. And Carrie, yeah, I think it's Carrie Nelson. Uh, and so, you know, you have all those people signing a letter complaining how they're not allowed to be racist on the pages of the New York Times. Well, they are allowed to be racist on the pages of the New York Times, but yeah. they're still complaining. You know, they're given these mega platforms to spout the most noxious uh, ideas, and yet they constantly whine about how they're being censored.
0: And they and, try to get others censored.
3: And and, and they try. And, they, and, you know, Barry Weiss, who... Who, den- who, you know, who tried to deny it, but the record is just so clear about, you know, she had been an instrumental part of the campaign that is now almost, has been going for almost 20 years to get the brilliant Professor Joseph had fired from Columbia University. She was a part of that, you know, and uh, these campaigns against Palestinian professors, routine you know uh joseph mess had being one steven salaita being another and there are others earlier asa mentioned deutsche Welle, the german uh, government uh, broadcaster um that uh whether there's been a a, a witch hunt uh, s- uh since february against palestinian and other arab journalists and six or seven were fired and uh In just the last couple of months, German courts have overturned those firings in two cases, two cases that have come to court. But in all those cases, those journalists were fired after just, you know, disgusting, defamatory smear campaigns, falsely accusing them of anti-Semitism, basically for being Palestinian or for having critical opinions about Israel. And there's just no, uh, you know, no outcry about that. Of course, I mean, in a way, we shouldn't we shouldn't expect it because we know that none of this is really about free speech. I mean, just the way U.S. invasions of other countries are not about democracy, the uh, you know, the whining about cancel culture is also not about free speech. It's right. about uh, monopolizing speech for those who already have powerful platforms and ensuring that no one else gets platforms. So it's about, it's about ensuring unfree speech by claiming that powerful people are being uh, censored. And I think it's important to understand that, you know, these, these things are never about what they claim to be about.
0: Right. And even Barry.
3: Just like, sorry, just like, sorry, you know, all, all, you know, just the way 99% of the discussion about anti-Semitism has nothing to do with anti-Jewish bigotry. It's all about, you know, shielding Israel from criticism.
0: Right. And, you know, even Barry Weiss, you know, presents herself as a victim. She resigned from the New York Times. She wasn't fired. You know, no one pushed her out. She was given pages in the New York Times. But um, yeah, and Ali, Ali, you've pointed out So eloquently and passionately how what a disservice it does to the fight against anti-Semitism to conflate, given that we live in a world with actual anti-Semitism, conflating criticism of Israel with anti-Semitism. I mean, I mean, it just it is takes away from the real fight against anti-Semitism. And of course, it trivializes it.
3: Well, that that's the job of the ADL to trivialize mm-hmm. the fight yeah. against anti-Semitism. I, I think one of the most pernicious things that we've seen in the last few years, uh, especially during the Trump years, although I, I don't have any reason to think this would change. You know, when we saw this real upsurge of uh, right-wing uh, white supremacist neo-Nazi anti-Semitism in the United States that translated into real violence. I mean, you had the Pittsburgh uh, synagogue attack in uh, 2018, and then six months later, you had uh, the uh, another murderous attack that killed, I think, three people at the Poe Synagogue in California. And there were other incidents. And every time one of these happened, you know, and this was in the context of Trump stirring up this white supremacist anti-Semitic base. Every time this happened, you had groups like the ADL both sides in it, right. you know, mm-hmm. saying, oh, well, yes, there is anti-Semitism on the right, but there's also anti-Semitism on the left in the form of BDS, right. the non-violent uh, right. Palestinian boycott, divestment and sanctions movement. So, to, I mean, I can't think of a more cynical and trivial, trivializing and disgusting way of dealing with actual life-threatening uh, anti-Semitism. You know, that Jews were murdered in uh, synagogues in the United States by white supremacists, uh, supremacists spouting neo-Nazi crap. And they're using that as, ex- as an excuse to attack students at UCLA or or wherever it is uh, holding events in support of Palestine. Right. Ho- it's just horrible it's to me. Yeah, it really is.
2: It's so, so cynical. Ridiculous. It's infuriating.
3: Yeah. 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 But I had a question. Uh, like, uh, I just wanted to ask Katie. um something more kind of cu- coming back to sort of the media aspect I'm curious to know you know because Katie you have your own you know you developed uh your own independent platforms as a podcaster and as a writer and you know and that's how I got to know you through your live streams and then you you've kind of you became known that way and you sort of Migrated to you know, tell me if this is an unfair characterization, but then you were sort of getting into kind of a more uh, I don't know if mainstream is the word for like uh, corporate, corporate. yeah, the hill yeah. and rising, which present themselves as kind of oppositional encounter, but at the same time, they are part of like sure. more corporate media, yeah. um, and that's a great thing that you are getting a bigger platform. I don't see anything wrong with that, provided you're able to to speak freely, which clearly right. you obviously weren't. Uh, you were immediately censored when it 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 came to Israel. But my question is, what do you think? Like, have you heard from other journalists? Have you heard from like like what do you think the impact of this is on? other journalists who would look at what happened to you or look at what happened to others. Do you think that they were just like, Oh yeah, she's going to be a problem if she talks about Israel. So we need to get rid of her. Or do you think it's also about, in a sense, making an example of you or making an example of Mark Lamont Hill uh, or others so that they, so that others won't step out of line. Like, how do you see, how do you see that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I haven't. Of course, the thing is that I'm not going to probably journalists who feel like, okay, I'm going to avoid this issue now aren't going to write to me and say that. Um, But I do think it does have a chilling effect. Um, I don't see how it could not have a chilling effect. I I will say that Brianna Joy Gray, who stayed at the Hill, did something which I think was pretty brave, which was that she said she disagreed with what they did. She basically kind of like called bullshit on on what they did. Um, and said that she'll be talking about Israel now, as she herself has said, it's not an area of intense focus for her. She has talked about the BDS stuff because she has a legal background. She was a lawyer, so she has focused on that aspect. Um, I think that maybe what will happen is that they'll let her talk about Israel and that so maybe like the silver lining for this is that now that I've exposed this, they will be forced to let it because I just think it would be such a bad look for them to fire another person for over it. Um, I do think, though, you know, there is probably it's like probably in some ways useful for them to not have a Jew saying it uh, because of what issues that we spoke about before. It probably is something that, again, for better, or for worse. And I think we'd all agree for worse, but it probably it has more for many people it has more legitimacy when it comes from a Jew, like we were talking about earlier, again, for better, for worse. So I think that it's probably um, a little bit less problematic for them if they have a non-Jew saying it, because it'll be easier for people to just dismiss it.
3: Um, I I, uh, I don't know if uh, Brianna Joy Gray watched this, but, If she does, maybe she could have you on to talk about this. Yeah, I know. We were joking.
0: Someone was saying she should just read my monologue. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, um, I wasn't my, I mean, I wasn't my, I didn't leave my show behind. Like, I was doing my show in Useful Idiots. Um, This was just an additional presence. And, um, you know, it's it's frustrating because, like, I, I remember going out, like, for to a restaurant and some guy was like, oh, my God, I love your stuff. And I was excited. I thought he liked, you know, the Katie Halper show, Useful Idiots. He's like, I see you every week on Rising. I was like, oh, OK, cool. And then he gave me like a free bottle of wine. So, you know, those are the types of privileges Pugs. you get from, from the, the perks. In corporate media. But I always you know, I always knew that I, I wanted to have like one foot in the independent media world. And, and I didn't plan to have one foot in the corporate media world. But I certainly saw I knew that they weren't like uh, that they were corporate, that they were influenced or motivated by the bottom line. And of course, now we know by a certain Israel position, um, I never really, you know, but I, but I was being a realist. I was like, okay, well, this is a big, you know, audience and I wasn't selling out to to get onto it. So I think it was like a mutually beneficial relationship. But Um, that's
3: actually, sorry.
0: No, no, no. And but that's actually an thing... important
3: lesson because yeah. you the the point is, I mean, I think it sucks that you you were fired and particularly that you were censored uh because you wanted to talk about Israeli apartheid. But the fact that you have your yes, you your important. independent yeah. base that you built up by wow. yourself, and and again, right. that's how I know of your work. Right. Uh you know, long before you were ever on Rising means you could afford to do that. You know, yeah, you could exactly. afford to say, I'm not going to, you know, the, it, it's more important to me to be able to speak about the issues I want to talk about than, um, you know, ultimately to, you know, make a deal with the devil to to be on uh, a, a corporate show. And I think that's an important right. lesson for all of us is, is that. Yeah. That ultimately, I mean, ultimately, you know, this is most people are probably going to watch this on YouTube or on one of the other. I mean, we try to put our show on multiple platforms, yeah. like you know, like you do, like we all do, and and yeah, they can all censor us. We all have no illusions about that, but at least we decide what we put out. You know, right. there isn't some corporate. Uh, overlord who's gonna you know call us up and say you know check your email you're you're right you're fired and they i just think just that's so crucial
0: no it's true and brianna joy gray you know i think one of the reasons that she was able to do that is because she has her own podcast uh bad faith and she also does collins and i do collins and i have the katie helper show and i have a patreon and then i have a sub for useful idiots but that's definitely true i mean this was not my only uh, for, so what, my weekly appearances were not paid, but they were great for exposure. And then the hosting was paid. But this is, was not my only source of income. Had that been, I mean, I don't know what I would have done. I guess, I mean, I don't think I would have been... I think I would have been okay had I just shut up about it. After, I don't think recording it per se was was fireable. I think it was my pushing back on them censoring it or pushing back on them not running it. But I also want to point out that... Um, Bronco Marchatich, who is a great journalist, uh, wrote a piece about this at, at Jacobin. It's called, in case people want to find it, left-wing journalist Katie Halper has been fired for calling Israel an apartheid state. Um, the Hill has fired Katie Halper from its morning show, Rising, for describing Israel's policies as tantamount to apartheid. It's a blatant act of censorship to science a pro-Palestinian journalists. And then he points out, um, so in uh, August, The Hill was bought by Nextstar Media Group for $130 million. And then in September, PsaGot Value Holdings Limited, an investment firm in Tel Aviv, bought 6,100 shares in Nexstar to the tune of more than $1 million. Also in late August, Nextstar filled the position of deputy managing editor of News Nation its cable channel with Jake Novak, a journalist who spent the preceding year and a half as the media director of the Israeli Consulate General in New York. Uh, He's also written approvingly of Donald Trump's dropping of US support for the two-state solution. And has advocated for Israel to build uh, more illegal settlements, saying it would, quote, bring more peace, prosperity and freedom to both Israelis and Arabs. And, quote, six days before the announcement of his hiring, Novak led a presentation at Bar-Ilan University titled Defending Israel Against Media Bias, How to Fight News Media and Social Media Bias Against Israel. The best defense is a good offense.
1: And that says it all right there. Yeah, Um, and even so, that, it's yeah. like
0: I hate saying that stuff. And you sound like you're saying, like, "Oh, Jews run the media." It's like, no, it's not. It's that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there are people who have certain interests in Israel and certain positions on Israel yeah. and are very uh, loath to allow for any criticism of Israel.
3: Right. Well, in some cases, it's it's actually quite explicit. Uh, for example. Uh, Deutsche Welle, who we talked about, the German state uh, international broadcaster that's that's funded by the German state. So its its main audience is, uh, you know, sort of the equivalent of the, the BBC or BBC World Service or something like that. They've actually just issued um, a new sort of th- their new kind of handbook that sets out their binding rules for their journalists. I mean, it, it's explicit that it's binding. That says we support Israel, so all, all, all journalists are required. Deutsche Welle, which also gives out a uh, an annual prize for free speech, uh, journalists are uh, required to support Israel. And then you have Axel Springer, which is a major German uh, publisher and media company that uh, recently bought uh, Politico, Amen. and they have they and they are also Politico Europe. Uh, and then the, there's Politico in the U.S. too, and they also have explicitly stated that you know support for Israel is is one of their principles. So, I mean, that it couldn't be it couldn't be clearer. It's right. like you know you, you tow this line or you lose your job. And in the uh, Deutsche Welle uh, handbook, which I I, I wrote about a, a few weeks ago, there wasn't uh, a requirement. Uh, to support any other country, like there wasn't right. a policy that you have to support Germany or the United States, only <laughs> Israel. Right. And uh, wow. why? You know that that's that's odd. You it's know, really embarrassing. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and and of course, there's no the German state broadcaster doesn't have a policy that you have to support Namibia, right. which which is the site where the Germans uh, first committed. Horrifying genocide against, uh, uh, you know, the Herero people and the Nama people. And, you know, 50 years before they then took those same methods and applied them to uh, European Jews. But there's no requirement that you have to be nice to Namibia if you work for Deutsche Welle. So this is something that uh, is odd, to say the least.
0: Mm Yeah. Yeah.
1: Is there going to be any pushback do you think from within the hill or next star um around this exception to the the palestine exception to free speech uh on the hill?
0: Yeah, it's uh free speech for f- pep free yeah. speech except, <laughs> free speech except for palestine. Right. Um I don't know. I mean Brianna Joy Gray has already said she will talk about this issue um I don't think that. I mean, I think they're they'd be fine with just losing people over it. Quite honestly, right. I don't think right. they'll fire her over it. Um, I think that people are, you know, disgusted by. I, I think that some people are disgusted by what happened, but it's also frustrating that The Hill, and Star probably won't, you know, face any. I mean, people have unsubscribed to rising and they've written about rising and, and they've written about the hill and next star. I should point out that the producers and that every time I do an interview and I say this, I I worry yeah. I'm going to get them fired because I think trying to do the right thing seems like an a fireable offense. But they mm-hmm. did. They wanted to get this out. You know, they thought it was they were trying to get it released, the, right. not in any mm. undermining, sneaky backhanded way. But I know that they were advocating for releasing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's and just, it's,
1: just it's, it's the higher ups that make those. Yeah, it's the higher ups, yeah. Decisions, and It's just yeah.
0: scary that they didn't even think about the optics of it or they, right. I don't, that they didn't care about it Well, they, like don't, they, ca- exactly, they don't, care exactly, they don't care, yeah. Yeah, like when they fire, like, okay, you're going to fire me, so I'll, cool, I'm obviously going to tell the world what happened because I don't think it's, I think people should know what they're really up to. Um, yeah. But I, I, I was shocked that I was fired. I really was. You know, another thing I should mention is that, Again, I had been critical of Israel in the past. So some people are like, oh, Kate, you did this as a, a PR stunt. You knew you'd get fired. No, I'd I'd said Israel had lied about murdering um, Srinabu Akhle. I had done lots of segments on Israel. Um, honest Reporting had done a piece on me entitled What the Hill, which is so clever.
3: And that's um, an Honest Reporting, just so people know, is yeah. a, a very far right Pro-Israel group.
0: Yeah, and,
2: yeah, and it also has links yeah. to the Israeli state. Like it's—I um, yeah. wrote about this some years ago—that um, it's. I think its founder um, or one of its early directors was literally a spokesperson for the Israeli military. So mm-hmm. these are not independent right. organizations.
0: And of course, there's so. F- the thing that's so frustrating is that they're so funded to put out all these talking points, and they have all these talking points, and they—they they have all the. You know, they convince a lot of people and then we don't have anything on our side, no equivalent of that. I mean, you guys do that at Electronic Intifada, but you're not you don't have the resources that uh, honest reporting has. And they just have constant nonstop barrages of trying to get people fired. Um, so they also could have played a hand in this, which is yeah. pathetic for the Hill. You,
3: you know, what, one of the yeah. ways honest reporting functions um and they they go back, you know, at least twenty years, if not more, because I, I remember this was very common during the Second Intifada, this, the Palestinian uprising that took place in the in the early two thousands. Uh, when I was sort of more uh, able to. Uh, get into mainstream media uh believe it or not i mean things are much worse now than they were 20 years ago you know i i would be interviewed by cnn and msnbc and even fox uh Mm. you know and they'd call me up and they'd have me on you know maybe for three minutes or whatever but that wouldn't happen now for sure um and and i used to speak i used to be sort of more in touch with mainstream journalists and what what I would hear and, and what what the mo was was that they would just harass people to the point where they didn't want to talk about power I mean that's right, how exactly. it works it's like yes. you know even if they don't get you fired they just make your life so miserable that you just like I don't need that headache right. and you just avoid the topic or you start to, or, or what I think happened also in a lot of cases is you self-censor. Right. So a lot of journalists would adopt this kind of like very cautious, both sidesy language in the hope of avoiding, you know, a a hurricane of, you know, smears and harassment by Honest Reporting and similar organizations.
0: Right. The ironically named Honest Reporting, yeah.
3: The I, I, Yeah, absolutely. Always. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: But
0: I think that's true that people will just the thing is that when people just avoid it, then what you what happens is you're just there's uncountered There's like just Hasbara out there because obviously, which is, I guess, the it means explanation really in, in Hebrew, but it's used as to describe Israeli propaganda. And so when you when you avoid if you're someone who is afraid of talking about it, there's certainly people who are not afraid of talking about this, who are in the mainstream media. You know, you have your Wolf Blitzers and your Jake Tappers um, and, uh, and all, you know, and all these people in the Israeli uh, who are, form part of the Israeli lobby who appear on the media as guests or commentators or contributors. Um, and then what you have is the people who are afraid to talk about it are, are probably the ones who would say anything remotely critical. So you have a kind of, um, you know, homogenous uh, monoliths. Uh, of people with one view on this because they're certainly not going to stop talking because no one's going to harass them. Like what? Like, I mean, you're a very persistent, persuasive person, Ali, but you probably don't have the time to call them constantly. And even if they did, they'd just probably put, you know, block your number. Right. To harass them into firing someone.
3: Right. Well, one one question I have, I mean, I'm curious to know from your experience Katie as somebody who is like you know I, I I don't know that much about your your background and your experience growing up and 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 so on but my sense is that you know let's not kid ourselves mainstream media corporate media is still incredibly powerful it's an incredibly powerful yeah. uh propaganda force for shaping what we call public opinion no doubt about that but i i do feel like its monopoly has been broken in the in in the last few years and uh, there was a period in the mid 2000s where it was really in crisis because the internet was just mm. this open Platform and now they're kind of fighting back and reasserting control, and that's why we see all this kind of censorship on platforms and so on. But nonetheless, it's my impression that that mainstream, you know, it matters less to get an op-ed in the New York Times say than it it may have done, or we may have thought it it was a few years ago. I'm curious if you agree with that, and I'm curious in terms of your own experience how do you feel you got educated related to this issue or other issues that are important to you? Like where, what, what shaped your view of the world? Was it mainstream media? Was it? Yeah. I am just curious to know what your experience is of that.
0: Yeah. I'm that's interesting. Like how did I, I mean, I, there are a lot of progressive, um, in New York City, there are a lot of kind of radicals. Uh, my my friend w- uh, took, play- took part in something called Women of a Certain Age, I think it was called. They went to, they were um, Jewish women and some of their daughters. So I guess it was a multi-generational thing, but went to, did my friend go with them? There was a group that I would hear report backs from who went to, um, to the occupied territories went to Israel, would do were very critical of Israel, were, you know, uh, one state, one state people, not two state people. Uh, then I think I would also just see the censorship that happened. Um, the way that people I mean I guess it was also the responses to the to the Gaza assaults against Gaza Seeing how the mainstream media really minimizes it. I mean, the the hard thing about media is that like you don't you have to read a lot of other stuff to realizing that they're misrepresenting things. Cause how else would you know? Like if they're they're your source for information, you're not gonna know. It's not like they're like, you know, have in the cryon, Chiron at the bottom, like we are not mentioning all of the uh civilians who were killed here, or we are calling these people militants. uh, You know, like, so it is a hard thing to do. And I'm that's actually a good question. I don't know, my family is very, we actually have cousins in Israel who I have to talk to. I haven't, I know that my, one of them, she was dating a Palestinian guy and then the wall went up. So that's a major, uh, I think that ended that relationship. Um, So, but my family, I didn't grow up with any Zionist uh, historiography, like shoved down my throat or anything. Um, so there's that. I do remember, it's funny when I was like, maybe I was a preteen and I somehow must have internalized the both sides stuff. And my cousin was like, are you kidding? Like one side has rocks and one side has all this military equipment. And that kind of woke me up from that, that momentary lapse in judgment when I guess I kind of swallowed this, this talking, the both sides is them talking points, um, And yeah, my parents are very sympathetic to, uh, you know, they're very critical of Israel, very sympathetic to the cause of Palestinian resistance and human rights. Uh, You know, I think that's kind of their default. For some people, the default is to kind of like side with Israel. Their default is not that, is... uh, yeah so i didn't have to I didn't have to do undo any education I did do I have to admit I did do birthright as a kind of undercover project, um, and I came back and I did some stand up about that I actually did I wanted to do a one woman show about it. I still have to do that um, but that was interesting, and that was very useful, I think actually, because two things one is i mean it's that's obviously a propaganda tour birthright. And I did one of the least kind of right wing versions of it. I think it was called Israel Experts. But um, there was just no grappling with it at all. There was some nice like human rights see, you know, we would love to coexist type of thing. Um, I think they actually had us talk, they did, we did speak to one Israeli Arab, who was slightly critical, obviously not that critical. I'm sure he was like, you know chosen very carefully oh yeah even then i remember some like prick on the trip was like why do you live here then why don't you live in in palestine although i don't think he would have said that because he doesn't
1: probably jordan or something yeah yeah right yeah yeah
0: um uh but that was interesting um Hmm. i don't know though i yeah i didn't have to undo i didn't i don't have to with all my politics my parents are very left so i really never had to come to anything on my own. Uh, I really admire people who do, but I didn't have to do any of that work. Um, yeah. yeah, it is true, though. I remember my I, I I remember where I was. I was in Brooklyn at my cousin's house, and I remember I was kind of she didn't do it in a in like a chastising way, but it was like kind of a wake up call. and I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. That is a really stupid thing to say that they're <laughs> both doing stuff. And she had friends, um, good, good Israeli friends who she she disagreed with on politics. Um. Yeah. But yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. it makes a difference. Um, what your community is. Yeah. Um, when you're young, for sure. Yeah. Katie we only have uh, a couple minutes left, but um, you know, a- after you being fired from the Hill, um, but still maintaining, you know, your 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 rightful place in independent media, um, with your values and your principles intact. Um, what advice do you have for students, for uh, young folks who want to be, you know, uh, a, a news person and a journalist um, in this in this landscape right now? Don't
0: talk about Israel Palestine. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Um, make sure no, but I mean, Ali, you brought this up, but make sure that you are try to have your work in um, multiple places. So if you do video, upload it to not just YouTube, upload it to Rockfin or Rumble or um, what are the other ones, Odyssey. I haven't done that. I, in fact, as I say this, I need to do this more myself. But, um, you know, if you can do something so you're uh, supported by your readers or viewers or whatever media you create, I mean, that's a good way to, to make sure that you're safe to say the things that you want to say. Um, what else? Yeah, uh, I want to keep doing I'm, I'm actually going to bother you guys because I want to ask you some questions about some video ideas I have. Um, I want to I want to definitely keep doing more of these. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what else? Any other advice that I have? Keep on keeping on. There is a, a large audience for for this kind of criticism. Uh, it's not highlighted or amplified by the mainstream media or corporate media, but it's people are very hungry for it because it's so taboo. Yeah,
3: I, so. I think I think that's that's right, and it, it's it's um, you know I hate to put it in these terms, but that's also an opportunity, in in the sense that there is important work to be done, work that needs to be done, people yeah. whose voices are not being heard. That, uh, I mean, we at the Electronic Intifada, we can't keep up with everything that's happening in Palestine, around Palestine. We, uh, you know, after we record this podcast, we're going to go into our editorial meeting and and decide, you know, which stories we're going to try and cover in the coming week, because we have very limited resources. We can't cover it all. Yeah which means there's a lot of opportunity for people who want to uh, do something, you know, who don't want to be part of a pack and just be doing something that everything that everyone else is doing. Uh, and so there's plenty of uh, space uh, for more people to to get involved in doing independent journalism on uh, Palestine. Of course, you know, let's take the opportunity to say, you know, get in t- contact with us at EI if you have ideas for stories you want to cover or write about or, or uh, you know, videos you want to make. We're always happy yeah. to 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 talk to, to new people. So, but I think ultimately you're right, Katie, keep on keeping on. And if I can just say, I, I think you do amazing work and uh, I always learn from listening to you uh, and uh one thing that i would say you do very well with, is you're funny it's like it it's <laughs> like i learn and i laugh when I, I tune into your shows and that's that's also great because the world is miserable enough we gotta at know, least
0: yeah we gotta, yeah, we, yeah, we, we have <laughs> so, to so yeah. it's essential you have yeah. do a list you should do like you should publish like things we wish we could have gotten to this week and then oh, that's, maybe other people can pick idea. up the slack. Yeah,
3: we don't, we don't have time to do that. List,
2: so. <laughs> 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 we don't have time to say the things we don't have time. For. Exactly. Oh, exactly mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, Katie Halper, thank you so much. You You are the host of the Katie Halper Show and the co-host with Aaron Mate and Matt Taibbi, of of course, of Useful Idiots. And uh, you're a good friend of the Electronic Intifada. Thank you. Um, And yeah, you're welcome on the show anytime.
0: One plea is if people would, I'd love if people signed up for YouTube.com slash the Katie Helper Show, just so we can grow in subscribers. Um, the video that I did, that we did with Breakthrough News has been doing really well. I'm almost at 100k views on my channel and Fantastic. I think we wow. are almost at 100k at their channel because we both posted it, um, We'll and... embed the monologue in the post yeah. for this oh, great. episode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. 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 That. Um, yeah. Amazing. Thank you
0: so much for having me on.
2: Thank
1: you, Katie. And thanks, Ali. Thank you. <laughs>
2: Thank you, guys. Thank you all. Thanks for watching this video. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit like, leave a comment. These engagements help us with the YouTube algorithm and it helps us to get around Silicon Valley censorship as much as possible. It does make a difference. You can also support our journalism by going to electronicintifada.net and clicking on donate now. Thank you.